0: And welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Brazil, and a see you in hell from Chile. Starting out with the United States, which is where we're getting most of our news this week, Twitter has, you know, now offered this blue check program, right? Where anybody who wants to pay Twitter $8 can get a blue check mark which originally on Twitter meant that the account was a vetted, sort of like official account. It meant that it was like the actual representative account of a business or a government or something like that. Now anybody can get them, and a lot of extremist people are getting them. Uh, they're getting them either to troll people or to try to appear more legitimate to people who didn't you know, get the memo about this change. Another important change that's happened to Twitter is that pretty much every extremist who has been eliminated from the platform or who had been eliminated from the platform is now back. We're talking about Kanye West, for example, who is removed from the platform because of anti-Semitism, and more importantly, Donald Trump, former president and, you know, racist, sexist, etc., who was eliminated from Twitter, uh, you know, unable to post anymore. His account was banned because of his behavior. Trump is continuing to avoid Twitter as is instead using his sort of proprietary system of social media, which is called Truth Social. Personally, I think this is a big misstep. You know, he's missing a lot of his major base and, you know, getting actual headlines for saying the crazy incendiary stuff that he said on Twitter. Looking at some of the midterm numbers, now that we have actual data, you know, more robust data about the midterm vote in the 2020 midterm elections earlier this month in November, we can see that the GOP, the Republican Party, actually did a lot better than Donald Trump did in his attempt at re-election in 2022. Specifically, they did a lot better than Trump vis-a-vis the way that Democrats performed uh, relative to Biden's performance specifically. What this means is that the reports that like, oh, this 2022 election, this this, this is a major defeat for Republicans, It makes this very complicated, right? It means that the Republicans actually did do very well. They did not do as well as they had hoped, but they did do what they wanted, which is to take control of the United States House of Representatives, which they will have control of starting next year. Moving on to more news about the GOP, an operative of the GOP, a guy named Benton, has been convicted of funneling Russian money to Donald Trump in 2016. Remember that this was the big drum that the Democrats were playing regarding Donald Trump's election in 2016, and also his re-election attempt in 2020, saying that he was in the pocket of Russians. This is proof that some Russian money, illicit Russian money, did go to Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. However, the amount that they could prove that this guy funneled in was $25,000. It's not particularly influential or important to a, you know, billionaire and his presidential campaign. However, it's probably hiding or is just like what they could prove of a much larger sum. Uh, regarding other stuff that the Democrats might learn about Donald Trump, they have recently gained access to Donald Trump's tax returns. This could be nothing, but it could instead be a whole lot. You know, it could be a way that they could find out a lot of important information about money that Trump was hiding or money that he received from illicit sources. We're just going to have to see when they actually get these tax returns if they actually do, you know, if it doesn't end up just hidden in some accounts or in appeals courts until 2024 or something like that. Dustin Byron Thompson was sentenced to three years for his participation in January 6th riot and, you know, attempted coup activities. He's claimed that he was just following Trump's orders in doing so. Uh, This is one of many of these capital rioters as many people call them, you know, attempted coup ad, coup participants as I think is more important to describe them. This is one of many that are getting big prison sentences recently, like like actually pretty significant time behind bars and who are, you know, trying to get off saying that they were just following the president's orders, saying that they were doing what Donald Trump told them to do. This is important because it means that these people are openly saying that, like, yeah, the president was trying to get us to stage a coup. That is what he was trying to do. That's why we did it. You know, it's it's actually really helpful for these people to be saying that. Moving on to more right-wing news in the United States, the American Renaissance, which was a magazine uh, founded in 1990 by a man named Jared Taylor, had a conference last weekend. American Renaissance is what they describe as a race realist magazine. That means that they feature white nationalists who claim to be real sociologists or real anthropologists and say that their nationalism and their racism stems from what they think is a realistic or an accurate depiction of different cultures and races and their you know, intellectual abilities. This, of course, is total nonsense. It's disgusting. It's evil. It's racist. In some cases, it's fascistic. The American Renaissance Conference, it would be relatively unremarkable, potentially. Uh, They had this conference this last weekend in Tennessee that was, you know, just make them one of many such conferences and organizations and events that happen throughout the United States throughout any year. Interestingly, though, this American Renaissance Conference featured a speaker who was you know, speaking anonymously and whose face was not featured on any of their materials because it turned out that he was an active duty cop in the Boise, Idaho police department. This is just more evidence that cops just like fascism and fascism likes cops. They like being connected to one another. Their politics are intimately related. Their politics are very close to one another. Speaking of the relationship between fascism and violence, two people were arrested this week in Penn Station in New York City. Their names were Chris Brown and Matthew Mayer, and they are neo-Nazis. They were seen wearing swastika armbands. They had two weapons, one military-style knife, as described by the press, and one gun with a relatively large magazine. They were arrested because they had been making threats and making chatter online about carrying out an attack on a synagogue in New York. These people had been making these threats and giving these indications that they were going to participate in this kind of violence for some time. It is fortunate that they were arrested before they had the capacity to do so. Some of the comments that one of the attackers has made online indicate that he might be a member of the TradCath type of, you know, right-wing politics, something that I talked about on Tuesday's episode this week. This is important because it's an indication that this kind of politics, like, it doesn't just, you know, result in somebody having creepy or bad political affiliations. It actually inspires people to engage in real violence. Speaking of real violence, unfortunately, I must move on to a very recent mass shooting in the United States, a mass shooting in Colorado Springs where the targets were people who were attending a a queer bar, a queer nightclub in Colorado Springs, a a club called Q. The suspect uh, of the shooting was a 22-year-old person. The suspect is non-binary and entered the club on Saturday at around midnight and killed five people before being tackled and subdued by others in the club, one of whom was an army veteran and another of whom was a trans person. The suspect had been arrested last year after threatening their mother with a makeshift bomb. The suspect has a long history of these kinds of things and threats of violence. The suspect killed these people with a gun that it is completely ridiculous that they were able to obtain because, again, they were arrested only last year for making violent threats against people that they know. This is another major reminder that Domestic violence specifically is a massive indicator for the kind of mass shooting violence that we see all the time in the United States. It's one of the very clear through lines for a lot of these shooters. The motive that the shooter brought in question uh, is, it, it remains unclear. However, the fact that the shooter targeted a queer bar means that this attack is eligible to be described as a hate crime. Uh, because that category has absolutely nothing to do with the identity or status of the person who perpetrated the violence. Finally, moving on outside of news in the United States, talking about Bolsonaro in Brazil. Jair Bolsonaro, the current president of Brazil, lost his re-election attempt to Lula de Silva earlier this fall, or this fall in the Northern Hemisphere where I'm recording this. Uh, It's the spring and summertime in Brazil where this is happening. He never officially conceded this loss, although he did begin the transition effort toward Lula's presidency. However, this week, he has finally announced that he is planning on contesting the election. Specifically, he officially filed with Brazil's highest electoral court, claiming that a previously unknown bug on the election machines meant that the votes for him weren't counted, you know, that not enough of them were counted. Specifically, he claims that he won the election by 1%, which is pretty much exactly the same as Lula's margin for victory. So, you know, this is him saying that like, well, actually I won, you know, where they got this information about the bug, which unfortunately is real. The bug is real in these electoral machines. They got the information about this bug from a company that they hired. Uh, so, you know, it seems as if this company is saying what they want them to say. The electoral court and other outside observers are saying that this bug could absolutely not have resulted in the electoral discrepancy that Bolsonaro is describing and has already rejected his appeal. They rejected that this Wednesday, the 23rd. They're saying it was ridiculous. They threw out the complaint. The thing is that now the ball is back in Bolsonaro's court. It's up to him whether or not he wants to say that this ruling was wrong. It's up to him whether or not he wants to try to get his supporters to mount Mer, you know, further and further protests and you know opposition to his attempts to try to keep himself as the president of Brazil, it remains unclear. We really just don't know exactly what he and his supporters are going to do. Personally, uh, this is a little bit of a surprise for me. Frankly, when I thought about Bolsonaro uh, and his likely loss to Lula de Silva, the thing that I've been saying to people was that Frankly, I thought he was uh, smarter than Trump and that he would not wait until he had lost the election to try to stage a coup. Uh, It seems as if I was wrong and that he is uh, actually precisely that dumb. Uh, My apologies to anybody that I made that claim to. It it seems as if I have been contradicted. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with a segment I like to call See You in Hell, which normally celebrates the deaths of right-wing fascists, right-wing figures in history. However, this week I'm going to be doing something a little bit different, and I'm talking about somebody who was actually born this week in history and who, as far as I can tell, is still alive. This person's name is Andres Antonio Valenzuela Morales, usually known as Valenzuela. He is or was a Chilean military official and a confessor to military crimes, to crimes during Chile's Pinochet dictatorship. He was born this week in history the 20th of November, 1956. And as far as I can tell from my searches online, he is still alive. He entered mandatory military service in 1974, just at the start of the Chilean military dictatorship, the dictatorship that would become the Pinochet dictatorship that would rule Chile until, you know, the very beginning of the 1990s. He entered this mandatory military service and uh, eventually entered the military academy specifically the War Academy of the Air Force, which was the branch of the military that he joined. From there, he stayed in the military for the next 10 years, originally citing, you know, that he had a lot of financial need, that the military was a steady job for him to provide for his family. He then moved on to the Air Force's intelligence branch. One day in 1984, he walked into a Chilean journalist's office, showed him his identity card with his identity number, which is a very serious thing to do in Chile, it's it's the way that official identities are proved. You know, either when you're opening a bank account or when you're getting married or you know that sort of thing. Like like if you want a journalist to be able to say like yes, this is really him, this is really this is really this person, he walked into a journalist's office and said, "I participated in the disappearing of people. I killed people. I tortured people." He said that he wanted to get this off of his chest and that he felt like in order to remain a human being, he had to be honest about this. He had to, he had to say about it. He even confessed to specific crimes, saying that, you know, he, he killed specific people in specific places. This is extremely notable. Uh, it is one of the rare times that somebody who actually participated in this violence came out and said that they had done it and, you know, said that they were, you know, guilty of these crimes except that in 1984, these weren't crimes. And the only evidence of them was, you know, the, th- this person and no, you know, no entity would be able to, to try him or do anything about this. So uh, Valenzuela, as far as I can tell, then moved to France and just lived out the remainder of his life, as far as I can tell, until now. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, someone uh if 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 there's more information about this person or consequences that he has faced because without that i just have to say valenzuela we will see you in hell despite the fact that you confessed after your crimes you did still commit them all right that was 15 minutes of fascism a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right i'm dr craig johnson thanking sleepy kitty arts and sleepy kitty music for our intro outro and graphics if you enjoyed the podcast please like share and subscribe please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. You can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. You can also get in touch with me uh, with that same handle, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right. And uh, also as fascism15, which is the podcast specific Twitter account. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week. Also, apologies for the late episode. You know, it's a holiday in the United States. All right. Have a good week.